Last Sunday, we reflected upon adventures. So let me summarize some points so we can go deeper into the subject. We identified four features of real adventures. The first one is that you don't plan it, but you're called into it, you land into it, and real adventures happens to you, so to say. The second ingredient of an adventure is that there is a mission. Adventures, the real ones, are not just for fun. Something is at stake. The third ingredient comes with a mission, and there are dangers and sacrifices, setbacks, suffering. And the fourth ingredient of a good adventure is that there is this omen of victory, this benevolent power that is acting behind the scenes. And as we saw, most of the literary adventures share these features, and we explore some of those, like Tolkien's stories and, or C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia or the Star Wars saga. But when we read the Bible, something unique takes place at the fullness of time. The author of the story steps into the world he has created and becomes the central character in the plot. The author who had the story in mind from the beginning, whose providence has ruled over all of it, decides to enter the story and become, becomes one of the characters within it, the main one, in fact. It's a kind of silly analogy here, but imagine that J.R.R. Tolkien could somehow enter into his own book, into his own creation, and become one of his characters. But we read in the Word of God, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning, before the world was created, was the Word. All things were made through him. Everything, all the creation was made through him. And then, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we come to learn that the author of this story had been preparing his entrance into it all along, since the opening scenes. Remember, after the fall in the very first book of the Bible, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And that is called the first announcement of the gospel. God said, something will happen in the fullness of time. It will be this war between you and the fruit of the woman. And we read, for example, in today's gospel, that what had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. So Isaiah had predicted centuries before that this land, these people would see a great light. And that is what happened when Jesus decided to begin his ministry in those places. That prophecy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, came to light and the ones who were following Jesus came to understand this was already in the plot and is happening in front of our eyes. Isn't that amazing? And when God the Son entered the world, we know he didn't come with fanfare and trumpets 
he came silently to a young virgin, and he was born in a stable and had shepherds as his first attendants. Mysteriously, he came to suffer and to die, knowing that he would be rejected by the very ones he came to deliver. At the beginning of his ministry, he was invited by the devil to display his full power and was offered dominion over all the nations of the earth. But he rejected that, and he chose the path of humility, the path of suffering, the path of teaching. We read today in the gospel that he went around all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, curing every disease and illness among the people. So here we have the very same author walking around, teaching in the synagogues, in touch with the poor, in touch with the one who are suffering, healing them with mercy. And then he died. He died on the cross. He really died on the cross and was put into a tomb. Was, was this the end of the story? The main character, dead? Of course, we know that, 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 that he rose to the amazement of all. He was raised again to a new life. He showed himself full of glory as a human being, as a new human being. And his apostles were able to touch him, like Thomas, for example. And he appeared in, in their midst, and they shared meals with him. And instead of punishing and destroying those who put him to death, as it would happen in most fictions, he chose to forgive. And he welcomed them into friendship with him and with his father. And then he sent the Holy Spirit upon his church. And he sent his disciples and he sends us into the whole world. He said, go to the ends of the world and be the salt of the earth and light of the world and proclaim my name to everyone. So he sent his church and he equipped his church with the Holy Spirit. And in a manner that we struggle to fully grasp, he is now victorious. He defeated every evil, every sin, even death and the devil. He's the Lamb of God that reigns as the true King of all the world. He's the one who is behind his armies, if you want, orchestrating the spiritual warfare consoling his warriors, sending his Holy Spirit. And even though at times the battle is strenuous and we have many casualties, this war is already decided. I mean, the war between the kingdom of God and evil, basically. It's already decided. It's a matter of time. He conquered that victory on the cross and with his resurrection. Isn't this the adventure the most real, important, and amazing adventure. All other adventures echoes somehow this real adventure. And this adventure encompasses every human affair from the creation of the first couple to the consummation of times. 
when he comes again in glory and this world is transformed from the beginning to the end. Everything is touched by God and by his main character, his son made flesh. This is a story that we read in the Gospels. And here's something even more amazing for us. That you, you and I, entered into the story at some point. Like characters that appear in the midst of a great epic, we are invited to take our place into this great narrative. We are part of it as well. You know, for many, the story of the Gospels is just a religious story, a kind of parable that provides inspiring images for how to live. But it's not about the real world of school, jobs, relationships, family life, material goods that we need to make our way. Beautiful things to reflect upon, but not the real thing, not the real world. But we know better. It's completely the other way around. To believe in Jesus Christ means to be transported into his story and to take our place as his disciples. Because the battle between the evil and the kingdom of God is an ongoing battle. And it will end only in the end. And the, the, the battlefield, of course, is the main battlefield is our own hearts, but it outpours outside our hearts. There are so many fronts where this battle is being decided, if you want. This weekend, for example, we witness a great chapter of this story. Hundreds of thousands march for the dignity of every single human being from the moment of conception to its natural death, regardless of sex, race, religion, social condition. The dignity, the beauty of every single human being from the beginning to the end. And yesterday, I, had, I, could t I took place in this Students for Life National Summit, and literally thousands of students where they are being equipped and, and formed to become the advocates and the activists that this precise front of the battle needs. But this is just one of them. Then we have poverty, we have injustice, we have so many, you know, so many family life, education, so many fronts where the kingdom of God is also somehow at stake. The church, of course, churches, the ones who is supposed to animate all this. Yesterday, Friday, taking part in the march, the overwhelming majority of people were Christians. It was a fact. And you know what? The, even I think that the majority of those Christians were Catholic. You could see that in the march. And I was so happy to be proud of the church again. It's good once in a while to be proud of the church, isn't it? To be able to say, oh, here we are, we showed up, and we're fighting for something that is good and noble. And we're fighting together. We're reading today's gospel, the beginnings of Jesus' public life. He's launching his ministry. He's beginning his visible adventure. And he's calling his disciples. 
some of them. He's calling some of them to become his apostles, to live with them. He wants to form them really well and then send them into the world. We read it as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, come after me, and I will make you fisher of men. These men were fishermen, were simple people, but he saw something in them, and he called them in this adventure, this adventure that was about to become, to begin. And unexpectedly, he showed up in his life, and they accepted the invitation. They would become, in fact, fishers of men. What they what that meant, they didn't really know in the moment, but they accepted, they took the risk, and they followed the Lord. We read, at once, they, le- they left their nets and followed him. And the same happened to James and to John. This episode that we read in the Gospels that we proclaim is not only an episode from the past, It's an ongoing story because Jesus is alive in in the midst of the church. So today we are called by him to leave our nets behind and follow him. Whatever those nets might be, whatever whatever is that preventing you from following him better and more lovingly and more radically. He's inviting you and he's inviting me, okay, follow me, I need you for this for this story. I need you for this adventure. And we know, sure, Christianity is not safe. And it's not predictable. We don't really know what will happen to us if we do so. But only goodness could come out of that. We can trust the Lord. We can trust him. Let me finish with some practical suggestion in this Adventures Part 2 type of homily. So we need to read the Bible. We really need to read it and to know it. How many of you have read at least once in your life the entire Bible, cover to cover? Great. Here we have. No, we don't, you don't have to do that. I'm not asking as a test. Great. I'm happy to see that many of you read, you know, from Genesis to Revelation. We do have to do so that at least once, to know the Bible. Because if we don't know the story, if we don't know this narrative, how can we relate to it? We are called to relate to it. We are called to be characters in that story, that ongoing story. But the Bible is the heart of it. What prepared the arrival of Jesus Christ and what follows after that, even today. So that's why the Pope Francis said, you know, we need a, a day where we are invited, and I'm echoing his invitation, to read the Bible. If you read, so he was, he was very modest as, in, in his proposal. He said, read one verse each day in his homily. But I think we can do more than that, right? A verse, a verse, what is a verse? It takes two seconds to read, you know? So if you read one chapter a day, just one page, take you 10 minutes, you can read the Bible 
in three years. Really, I have a plan for it. So, so you, can, you can begin with the Gospel of Mark tomorrow, Mark chapter 1. And then I promise next Sunday I'm bringing this, this, you know, this, how would I say this, cards with a plan on how to read the Bible in three years. I remember when I finished, I was already in the seminary. First time I read the Bible, completely. The other day I was speaking with Hermogenes. Where's Hermogenes? Oh, there he is. And he said, oh, Father, I, I'm studying John, the Gospel of John, for my theology classes. Great. And what did you do? First class, first assignment. Read the Gospel of John, for, for sure. So he sat down and read the Gospel of John, chapter 1 to chapter 20, 21. It took him two hours. And he said, it's the first time I read the Gospel of John. Like from the beginning to the end. Sure, we listen, we hear pieces and parts in the Mass all the time. It's not that we don't know. But it's a different thing to sit down and read it. They're books. They're meant to be read. So let's read the Bible. Otherwise, we cannot really relate to that narrative. We don't understand what is going on. In the Bible, we find our marching orders. So how would we know where to go in this battle if we don't really know what is happening. We're like lost soldiers in an unknown war. And then pray with it as well. Pray with, would, with it would be the second step. You know, you read and then you choose something that stands out for you and you keep it and you ponder it and you speak with God about it. Pope Francis today said, Christ Jesus is knocking at our door in the words of the sacred scripture. If we hear his voice and open the doors of our minds and hearts, then he will enter our lives and remain ever with us.